little less than, a little bit more than 10 days ago, less than two weeks ago, I stood watching a group of sheep and a shepherd on the hillside, goats and sheep all mixed together. We were coming up from Jericho, and it was just on this side of the hill of the Mount of Olives, looking over the city of Jerusalem. And there, less than a mile away, were hundreds of sheep and shepherds watching their flocks. It seems like that the things of Scripture that we read are still always there. I go to Israel ever so often because I so enjoy taking people and having them have that aha experience. This really happened. The Sea of Galilee has not been allowed to have anything built around it, and it still looks just like it did the day that Jesus walked there. I've got a great picture attempting to walk across some water. Um, didn't work, but I tried. You feel his presence. You, you do. It's a real place. He really worked his miracles. He really did these things. You drive down the highways and see the highway signs, and it says X number of miles to Beth Shemesh, to Jericho, to Jerusalem, to Beersheba. It's all still there. But something was different about this trip. What was different was our bus driver, who was a young 40s-year-old man, handsome young man, two children, and he spoke openly of how Jesus was his Messiah, a Jewish young man. On the Sea of Galilee, the captain on our boat took us out into the middle of the lake, stopped the boat, and began to sing hymns of praise to Jesus, a Messianic believer in Jesus Christ. Years ago when I went, it was hard to find those kind of people. But today, there are over 200 Messianic congregations in Israel. One in Jerusalem itself, almost 600 people every Sunday praising Jesus Christ as their Messiah. What a difference. God is gathering his flock. He said he would gather his sheep from all over the world. And they're coming. They're coming all over. He is truly a good shepherd. He has not forgotten any of his sheep. We listen to a passage today that we're very familiar with that speaks of Jesus as our good shepherd. And that's what we want to focus on today. Would you stand as we share this passage? A scripture reading is taken from John chapter 10. Verse 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May be seated. In this chapter 10 of John, Jesus is answering a question that the Pharisees asked him back in chapter 9. The end of this section speaks of can one who is a demon open the eyes of the blind? And as we end chapter uh, and that's the end of 10 uh, in our section today. And then we end chapter 9. The Pharisees ask him, are we blind also? And so this is an ongoing conversation of where Jesus is in talking with them. Now I want you to notice something of where this is in the whole book of John. If you turn over to the sermon notes, which are there for the exam at the end. Um, I'm teasing. Are you listening? Um, Turn over the sermon notes, and the book of John is listed around seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does to show and prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then there's seven I am sayings that pick up at verse chapter 8. And so we are following chapter 9 of the signs, which was a blind man who had never seen, he had never seen. And then that is followed by John 10, in which he uses two in this chapter of I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And that's where John is having us, so that we will believe in who Jesus is. So how does Jesus' comment about sheep and a shepherd answer that question about are we blind? Jesus is indicting the Pharisees as self-appointed leaders, and shepherds of God's flock. 
And here is why he uses these two statements of I am the door and I am the good shepherd. They obviously caught his meaning because at the end of the book, we find that they ask the question uh, and it says they divided. They are divided in verses 15 to 21. So how are they divided? What is it they understand? What is it they don't understand? I think there's several things we can truly say they they did get and understand. They knew, these leaders, that the role of a shepherd was something that God had given Moses and that he had given David. These were their great leaders. And the metaphor of a shepherd was something very common to them. The passage in Psalm 78 where it says that God chose David. He was chosen by God to shepherd his people. They knew Moses had shepherded them through the desert for 40 years. They knew that the Psalms speak over and over of the people of Israel being the flock of God's pasture. So they understood this metaphor and they understood it ultimately to even refer to God because God tells them, you are my people You are the sheep of my pasture. I will be your God. They also knew the two great warnings in the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel 34. Jeremiah before the people are sent into exile for their disobedience and how God disciplined them. Jeremiah writes in 23.1, speaking for God, Woe to the shepherd." who are trying, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. You you have driven them away, and you have not tended to them. And then in Ezekiel, which writes extensively about false shepherds and how the religious leaders were the ones that were fattening themselves on the very flocks that they were sent to care for. And this is what Jesus is taking these men, these leaders too. He wants them to understand this contrast between good shepherds and bad shepherds. The religious leaders would have looked at Ezekiel and Jeremiah passage and thought, surely it doesn't speak of them. It spoke of real shepherds of the day that weren't doing their jobs, and God was just using a metaphor of the, of the real shepherds. They, they had classified the, the the shepherds of their own day, of Jesus' day, as those who were dirty and smelly and they became robbers and thieves and they disdained them. And so what does Jesus do? He turns to them and says, I'm a shepherd. I am a shepherd. The very ones that they were disdaining. And he said, I want you to understand it's the thieves and the robbers who climb over the gate or climb over the fence. They come in to steal. They come in to destroy. They come in to use the sheep for their own advantages. But I want you to understand the true shepherd of the sheep is the one that the sheep recognize. He's the one who calls them out by his own name and calls them by their names. And then he even says, I am not only simply a shepherd, but I am a good shepherd. And he tells them, he says, it's hirelings like yourselves, is what he's implying, who flee when danger comes, when wolves come, because they don't own the sheep. 
They don't see the sheep as truly their sheep. And they flee. And this is what the Pharisees and leaders had done to the blind man. They had not seen him as one of their sheep. In fact, they had actually thrown him out of the temple and told him not to come back. They shut off worship to him. They rejected him. They didn't care for him and closed worship to him. Jesus is saying they were blind because they did not see their responsibility as shepherds. They did not see the sheep as ones who were in need. And even more than that, they didn't recognize the true shepherd. And that's why he says, I am the door. I am that kind of shepherd. I am the true shepherd. I am the only way to safety and to salvation. The only way to do that is to go through the true shepherd, the door, and to acknowledge that he is the Messiah. That's actually what he's saying to them. As the door, he is their protection. He provides abundantly for them. He says that the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life to the fullest to the fullest. That's what I want my sheep to have. But one other thought, where else is this door significant in representing Jesus? It goes back to Moses. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, what did he do? He said, I want you to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the door. He is the Passover. You see, Jesus actually provides our salvation because he died for us and his blood was shed for us and it's only through that door with the blood of Christ represented on it that of salvation is found there's another function of the door and that is it is access Jesus says whoever enters will find salvation the good shepherd is that access, but it is a, an access that we need to understand. It speaks of obedience in this sense. When he calls them out in verse 4, and he says, The sheep hear his voice, and they call, and he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he puts them out, takes out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You see, we have a responsibility. It isn't automatic. We're not forced to follow Jesus. We might understand he's calling, but we're not forced to follow. In those days, the interesting thing was, and you can still see it today, back up against a hill would be a a facing of a cliff. And several shepherds would come together and they would build a rock wall. And then they would put a gate or, or a door passageway. And then several shepherds would put their sheep in that fold at night. But when that, the shepherd came for his sheep, he simply called them out by name. And they came out all mixed up, but the ones came out because they recognized his voice. They recognized his voice. And Jesus is the one who is helping them understand that they need to hear the voice. And these leaders didn't hear his voice. How do we hear 
Well, we find it very clearly. It's in his word. It's the scriptures, the voice that has been given to us. Jesus says, if you abide in my words and my words abide in you, you shall be my disciples. The word as we read it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, makes it come alive so we really can hear what God is saying. And we'll talk about more, we'll talk about more of that in just a second. But there's one other emphasis in this passage, and it's the emphasis about Jesus calling himself three times the good shepherd, the good shepherd. He was saying to those who had cast out the blind man that a good and a true shepherd cares for his flock to the extent of laying down his life for the flock. Five times in this passage alone does he mention the good shepherd lays down his life. That's the emphasis that's there. He lays down his life. And he's trying to help them see that a good shepherd cares enough for his sheep that he's willing to die for his sheep. In verse 27 that we'll look at next week, he says, I am the good shepherd again. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, he's the good shepherd in addition because he became also, as he kind of mixes the metaphors here, he became a sheep himself. Fully God, but he's also fully man. And so he actually becomes a sheep himself. He is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world for us. He gave his life that we might have new life. Now, there's so much more in this encounter. And again, as I say, we'll look at it more next week. But let me sum up several things for you. I think there are three things here that are emphasized in this passage in which we need to make application of. The first one is this, that Jesus provides protection. This is emphasized here. He's the one who provides what we need. But this protection of the shepherd is also conditioned on our own response to the shepherd. Now, assuming you have placed your faith in the true shepherd and you have accepted Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins, then the issue is this. What does it mean that Jesus repeats that they hear my voice? That they hear my voice. You see, there are many voices in this world. Satan has seen to that. The world is going to constantly oppose God's word in every possible way. And it's going to give you many voices in that, in that vein. But the more you consistently read the scriptures and listen to what is being said, then you will recognize more what God is trying to say to you the more you'll be able to discern between the voice of the world and the voice of Jesus. It isn't something that's magical. It's really just meditation. It's reading, thinking about what you read, praying about what you read, and it clarifies in your mind, this is what God is saying. This is what's important. This is what he means. 
The world will tell you the opposite of everything that's important. It will tell you the opposite of what God says about love. God says, love as I have loved, unconditionally. But the world says, you love someone and they love you back. And if I do this and you do that, then we are in love. But when someone doesn't do that, in time what we find is people say, well, I don't want any more of this relationship. I want out of it because you don't do what I want you to do. And that's not real love. See, that's not committed love. The world will tell you the opposite about sex. It will tell you it's fine to have sex with anybody. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just an act, a physical act. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says it's holy. It has a special place and is to be held in a special place. The world will tell you the opposite of what God says about patience. No, you don't wait on God. You, you, choose, you, you seize the example. You take it now. You do what you can. I mean, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves, doesn't it? I can't tell you how many people have quoted me that from the Bible. It'll tell you the difference about happiness. What is real happiness? Real happiness is in what you have. Real happiness is in the next vacation. Real happiness is the next promotion. But those are just circumstances. Those things do not last. When the scripture says the happiness, the joy that I want to give you, underlies all of those things because those things are passing, but my joy doesn't. It stays with you. The world will tell you the difference in holiness. Matter of fact, the world won't even speak of holiness. The scripture speaks a lot about holiness, living rightly with God. The world's going to tempt you in every possible way to not live holy. And even about your work, the world's going to tell you that you find all of your significance in your work. Now, work is meant to be something that is a delight. But unless you realize the purpose of work and what God says about it, you will never delight in it. You see, until you see business for the glory of God and what you do and why you do it, it will never satisfy. It might give you a lot of compensation. But eventually, everyone who gets a lot of compensation ends up with lots of consequences. Because you've got to take care of all that compensation. <laughs> the world will always speak against the things of God. How do you hear what God wants you to hear? You see, Jesus' words always lead us to joy, to a deep sense of wisdom and satisfaction about life. And when you trust him, you will not lean on the world's wisdom, but rather you will lean on him. And you will find, as he promised, I will give you straight paths. I will show you. He is the one who makes our path straight. He's the one who satisfies the depth of our soul. When David wrote his great Psalm 23, 
the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Notice what he says, that he will lead us. And we all want the leading. What's next? But what does it say? He said he will lead us in paths of righteousness. That's his goal. And that whatever we do, we do it in a way that is right, that honors God. The second truth that's emphasized here is Jesus as the door. And I think it's focused more on the access of what it provides. The access to the love of Jesus. To his guidance. To true worship. To trusting prayer. And once we go in and find that kind of acceptance and power and strength, then we have the freedom to walk out as he leads. And we have a freedom to be obedient. We have a freedom to speak his love. We have a freedom to practice what righteousness really is in our lives. And this is why he says he is the way. And thirdly, and lastly, the emphasis is on him being the good shepherd. Not simply shepherd, but a good shepherd. He says, I have authority to lay down my life and to take it back up. He's referring to his resurrection. But he emphasizes this idea of being good And it's connected to the fact that, as I said five times in this passage, he says, because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, trusting and truly believing Jesus is good is what affects our closeness to him. It's what affects our willingness to be honest before him. Because he's good He's laid down his life for us. How good is Jesus to you? How good is Jesus to you? How good is he to me? You see, your definition of good is what will determine the level of your intimacy. Your definition of good is what will determine the level of your joy, and your love of Christ. Because until you see how good he is, it becomes hard to trust him. When my wife died, I was faced with two very serious questions in my life. The questions to which the answers would ultimately lead me to peace. And the first question was, Is God really sovereign? Is he really in control? How do these kind of things happen? Is God really in control? And at this point, I'm listening to the world. And the world's saying, how can you trust a God who allows that kind of thing to happen in your life? That's what the world says. And yet I had to come back and look and see how had God been good to me? The answer is God never leaves you, and yes, he's always in control because he's the good shepherd. He is in the lead. He takes us out. He's in full control. Nothing can attack the sheep except that what he allows. But once I began to realize that he was fully sovereign and in control, then I have to answer, you have to ask the second question. Well, he might be in control, but is he good? 
Is he good? I wanted to say yes, but I didn't feel like it. The problem, again, was I was listening to the world. Because, you see, the world has its own definition of good. But God is the standard of goodness. And he's told us right here, what is the standard of God's goodness? The standard of his goodness is my son, who is your shepherd. And that standard is the fact that he's willing to lay down his life for you. That's how good he is. That's what goodness really is. Total, complete sacrifice for those he loves. That's why the scripture says, he who did not spare his own son and delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If I truly believe God is good, that he is the good shepherd, I will trust him with what I don't understand. And there's so many things in life we don't understand. We don't understand why this person does this and that person does that. We don't understand why this person has that problem. We don't understand why this person fails in that way. The world is full of things we do not understand. But God understands. And he's sovereign and he's in control. And it's all a part of his goodness and his plan. When I trust him for his goodness, I will have the courage to admit all my doubts. I will have the courage to be honest before him. I'll have the courage to tell him my deepest sin. Why? Because he laid his life down for me. I have nothing to fear by voicing my deepest confusions, my deepest doubts, my deepest concerns. He laid down his life for me. I can trust him. He has proven worthy of my absolute trust. So I ask you this. Are you listening to his voice? Are you listening to his voice? He died so you could hear his voice. Do you have the freedom to do what he commands? The freedom to follow him. He died, laid down his life, so you could have that freedom. And then what is your need to trust his goodness for? What is it in your life right now that is your most pressing need? What is your most pressing problem? What is your most pressing fear? What is your most pressing anxiety? What is it you struggle with the most? You must ask, is he good? Is he good? Because your answer to that question will determine how you follow him. Your answer to that question will determine if you understand how much he laid down his life for you. He's a good shepherd. Let's pray. Great and mighty God.
thank you that you have given us your son who loves us so much. He's taught us to hear his voice. He's given us access to the very throne of heaven. He's given us his Holy Spirit that we might have power and a sense of your presence in every need, in every place. Thank you, O God, that Jesus is our good shepherd. In his name we pray.